Hi, I am Indervir, founder and CEO, EVH. We manufacture four-wheel commercial vehicle, electric vehicles. Every couple of decades, there comes a moment when there is such a fundamental change in technology that the existing giants end up getting disrupted and a new set of giants are created. In the 1920s, television was the technology change that disrupted the radio companies. In the early 2000s, streaming was the technology change that disrupted traditional broadcasting companies to create giants like Netflix. Currently, we are going through a similar era where electric vehicles are disrupting traditional internal combustion engine vehicles and will create new giants. We've already seen that Tesla is the most valuable car company in the world despite the presence of large legacy automotive giants. In India, EVH is one of the disruptors that is building an innovative four-wheeler electric vehicle platform that would likely emerge as one of the automotive giants of the future. In this episode of the Founder Thesis podcast, your host Akshay Dutt talks to Indraveer Singh about building the four-wheeler EV of the future and why EVH is poised to emerge as a winner in the market. Stay tuned and subscribe to the Founder Thesis podcast on any audio streaming platform to learn from founders chasing large market opportunities through technology disruption. So I grew up in a business family, essentially. Uh, and there always was, uh, you know, a desire to create. You, you sit within family members, you know, what's the next thing they want to create, what they want to build. So those are standard conversations that you end up having as a kid or listening to or eavesdropping on, if I may say so. Uh, and uh, so that is what my childhood was like, right? Uh, you know, pretty happy childhood and uh, uh, always motivated by what I saw uh, happen in the family business. And I'm talking about 80s, right? When you had few industrial sort of, uh, you know, large-scale industrial setups in place and also the license charge was still on, I think, during my kid as, as a child. So uh, it was it was good. Uh, also, uh, a sense of responsibility to take the family name forward always was there because, uh, you know, uh, it was, uh, you know, from a government job slash defense job to sort of, you know, starting your own successful startup and in those days, pre-independence actually. And uh, so that was always a motivating theme factor slash and always wanted to evil uh, what uh, our ancestors did. And uh, how come you didn't join the family business? Like uh... I was part of it for quite some time. Um, but uh, around 2014, when I gained enough experience, uh, mm. been around the world, did business around. And, you know, what part of it were you in? Like? Were you in sales or in operations or? I was managing one of the facilities, uh, actually. So, uh, so that included a lot of doing everything, little of everything, nothing of large, but you know, so that was the, uh, core, uh, idea, but around 2013, I realized that we, this is the time if you want to have a startup, B, uh, the world needs uh, sustainable transportation. And 2014 was the year, if you remember, 13, when smog started engulfing our, uh, you know, cities. And it was uh, disheartening to see, uh, you know, these things happen. And I, I always, uh, uh, you know, felt that as an entrepreneur, you need to have a larger societal impact uh, rather than just, I mean, Valuation numbers are just one part of it, which you outlive for a decade. After that, I guess that doesn't turn out to be so important. What is uh, ultimately important is uh, what is the impact you created uh, on the society? What is the change you were able to make? Uh, you know, and uh, again, sort of goes back to what my grandfather or our ancestors would do it. You know, uh, they they not only did build uh, a factory or a profitable business, but they Provided employment in a city which was unheard of until uh, Reliance came in, actually. So, uh, uh, you know, 
and and provide employment and and sort of uh, I I have seen with my own eyes how a small venture like that could impact the economy of a uh, of a small city or a small town. Uh, so similarly, you know, uh, that's what I always wanted to do to, to sort of bring an impact and help in nation building uh, uh, the area we are in, building that up. Uh, so that's how I ended up looking at EVH, and then mobility was something close to my heart. Uh, you know, born in a in a technical family, doing technical machines. You know, uh, and and I still remember uh, late eighties, early nineties. You know, Indian automobile industry was not so mature. Maruti was just putting its uh, or Suzuki, as we call it now, was just uh, pushing its feet into the Indian uh, ecosystem uh, or Indian automotive landscape. And uh, we had uh, the old horse, uh, Hindustan Motors, and, and you know uh, such vehicles around, which needed a lot of repair. You like it or not? And reliability was something that started to seep into India uh, post that. So you know you were always uh, tinkering with the car. You see somebody doing that because that was the only option. You know, radiators going over the standard sight in those days. I, I don't know whether you've seen those things, but. People would remember 80s, 90s, you know, <laughs> you had to stop your car, you couldn't go uh, uh, 300 kilometers without stopping and sort of changing the radiator water or something. People tinkering over to make it work and, you know, uh, and, you know, regulations were not strict. People trying to put a bigger engine, smaller engine, trying to get away with such minions. That's how I grew up. So essentially, uh, you know, I ended up requiring a lot of the skills to put a car together as a kid, uh, subconsciously seeing things happen. Uh, I made a electric vehicle, sort of a toy project. It was a scrap uh, 800, sort of, of those days, we used to have the 800, right? And uh, so it was a scrap of vehicle and I managed, to, was, I think after 10 boats, and I managed to run it for 30 kilometers range. But that was the excitement I had that, hey, you know, we can actually make a difference. And this I'm talking before uh, Tesla was even Tesla, right? The car. So uh, that was always there, right? Uh, so <clears throat> around 2013, 14 is when I decided, you know, this is what I love to do, honestly. And I would want to uh, pursue this as a hobby, profession, startup, whatever we call it. Because it ticked a lot of the right boxes, right? I was passionate about creating automobiles. I was passionate about automobiles as a whole. Uh, I enjoyed, uh, you know, working on them. And then the society needed a major, major impact. That was, uh, you know, electrification was one way forward in that case. And lastly, you know, it's time to create something. So it sort of converged all together. You, know, you can always, uh, you know, join the dots looking backwards is what the actual thing is for me. So, so that was my call to arms and start this company. Yeah. You must have uh, gone through a journey of finding the right product to build. You know, you might of have course. had multiple versions of different products you would have tried. Uh, tell me about that journey. Did you start by trying a, like a passenger vehicle first? Because, uh, you know, as an auto enthusiast, you typically tend to gravitate towards passenger vehicles rather than commercial vehicles. Uh, so, okay, you see, vision builds over a period of time. You you can't say that you're born with a vision. You you have to be in the ecosystem to realize where the world is headed. Uh, you know, being from a family that was slightly B2B in nature, if you can ask me so, uh, you know, uh, my initial thought process was to create a powertrain or something, which could be then used by people at large, be it uh, the Marutis of the world or Tata's of the world. Okay, um, but around twenty. What's a powertrain for for people who are not? Okay, powertrain would be your motor, gearbox, and the axles, which would sort of drive the vehicle forward. Right, so that's okay. a powertrain because it provides power. Okay, and, so and, the and, base and of the components on yeah. which the wheels are the, mounted. The propulsion system, yeah. Okay. Uh, so that's a propulsion system. The base would be, of course, the chassis. So, uh, so we, so our idea was to then build a, uh, you know. Uh, a powertrain and then try to sell it to a few OEMs, so-called, and, and sort of yeah, make money. And, you know, that, that was a very simple idea and how, how we wanted to start it. Uh, but India was not ready, I guess, you know. Uh, 
uh, there was no push uh, from from the government side to to move to electric, uh, and people were still struggling to convert from BS two to PS three those days. I remember. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, that was the struggle, right? <laughs> Nobody even cared about uh, uh, electric power train at that point of time. Uh, so then we said, okay. Did you actually build the power train? Did you yeah, try yeah, yeah. customers for it? Okay. Of course. Uh, and that was our disappointment. Certainly, was here though. You know, we we thought of <laughs> we build the power train. Selling it would be the easy part. You know, that was the assumption you start with, right? And so that's the moment where you take a pause and relook at what you're doing. Uh, are you wrong? This Is your product uh, one wrong? quick question. So, sure. how did you build the power train? I mean, because you're not from that industry uh, how did you actually well, it's all first principles no akshay uh, most of it is physics and you know you have got a founder who's running a pretty boring industry that is that aspect it's just physics that you have to put together and uh, basic physics says that if you have to push a payload of 100 kgs 500 kgs this is the amount of power you need and from where you generate the power how you generate it efficiently is a iterative process, and and you sort of learn as you build it. So I guess uh, it was just uh, simple physics in that sense to make a power train. And we as people try to overcomplicate things, you know, but uh, the reality is it's it's just it down it, it all boils down to the basics of overcoming friction and gravity to move forward. And yeah, so, okay. the, but you must have like. Uh, Hired some automotive engineers or so on to actually. Actually, our our um, our our startup is slightly an outlier. We don't have an automotive engineer in our company. So uh, we have engineers, of course, uh, mostly aerospace uh, people working in the space industry, but very few in the automotive. And, and now, as we have grown, of course, we are expanding our uh, version of uh, engineering, but. Uh, when we started off, it was all uh, aerospace engineers working with us and uh, trying to do it. So, uh, yeah, so it was getting the team together. Uh, of course, nobody believed me at that point of time. Uh, making the first hire was the most difficult one, to be honest. You know, people thought, it's crazy, right? I mean, when we started off, uh, today it's a no-brainer. Anybody making a startup or, or running a startup within the automotive or electric mobility uh, landscape, uh, it's it's... People would actually motivate you because you know uh, it is actually a, a in thing or or the fad these days. But back in 2014, it was slightly crazy, if I may say so. So nobody believed that. A, why would I enter into an industry which has or no, doesn't have a future? We don't know. B, who would want to risk on a unknown startup uh, in their career? But you. Once you struggle, you strive, you tend to find uh, people who are as busy as you are and as interested as you are to to create something for the world, you know. And that's how we sort of started getting the team together. And uh, Yeah, but there was very few people. We had three or four engineers to put the power train together. Uh, and it took us almost two years to get it right. They, you left your family business and got into this full time, or you were full time. Yeah. You can't. You can't do both, right? You can't ride on two boats at the same time. So, uh, but that was a no-brainer for me, honestly, because this is what I wanted to do. Uh, I was passionate about it. Uh, this is uh, a hobby, passion, profession, whatever you call it. Uh, but but that was the whole uh, journey, actually. And you were building it in Jamnagar only. No, no, I shifted here after college, I think, yeah. Yeah. You know, I, I was here in you know, 2012 onwards, yeah. yeah Chandigarh. 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 We, we are based out of Chandigarh, so. Chandigarh is slightly easier for access of talent, I guess, and slightly low cost than a metro city. Okay. So, 2016, you must have been ready with your prototype and you must have started going to OEMs uh, and you must have started hearing the no's from them. No, this it was even difficult to get an appointment. Yes, okay. it was later, you know. But in three months, I realized, okay, even if I get an appointment, sort of interest to them, right? Otherwise, they would have given us the necessary time. And uh, so that 
around 2016 we sort of reassess the situation but 2016 also was a monumental year for india uh, you know and and anything that happens uh, you know we say this specific thing made it happen right but there are a convergence of factors that lead to it uh, and uh, you know much like mobile telephony uh, early 2000s when the project was projection was that there will be 50000 users in delhi alone uh, over 10 years i mean people were able to do it in 2 years i guess uh, but uh, you know that's because a lot of convergences take place at the same time it's just not one factor and uh, you know 2016 was i believe one of the most volatile years in the sense that jio uh, came in and we saw a lot of e-commerce budding suddenly because you had almost a billion people having accessible uh, internet uh, you know people who can't even afford computers were now being able to access the net which changed the landscape of how consumers behave how they work and that's when i realized that you know the logistics networks will change with this because we are a mobility company right a uh, lot of things may happen at the top layer but our focus will be our industry and that's when it was crystal clear to me uh, india needs a new age vehicle which can cater to the uh, mobility or logistics landscape you interestingly asked cars and not trucks and as an auto enthusiast to try to make cars uh, and and this was pivotal to us because if you look at uh, pollution and that's what we are a problem that we are solving right pollution is uh, primarily a, a factor based on ground transportation uh, uh, chimney emissions or, or coal plants emissions right uh, ground transportations would be 45 to 60% depending upon the economy how it performs every year that's their uh, share in creating pollution and out of that out of that 45 to 60% uh, 45% is attributable to commercial vehicles which incidentally for, form at least 5 to 7% of the installed population of total vehicles and honestly uh, uh, electrification by then tesla had become mainstream was also highly segmented right it was for the rich people who can put 100000 dollars in buy a car or 80000 dollars uh, and honest to god if you go from your home to your office and back this is what you would do most of your week going on an electric car will not save the environment right it it may make you look like you will save the environment but it will not have a major impact major impact is where this 40% can be looked at and that's the problem we were out to solve uh, and and the answer was obvious you would do the same if that was your object so it was a obvious answer and then the other convergence of course was the fact that geo happened or broadband happened to india low cost broadband uh, e-commerce suddenly started to pick up because people had access to a mobile phone which could then work as a computer and uh, it it became startlingly clear that the logistic networks also need to change because india as a economy was a hub and spoke because essentially uh, in the olden days we call it the sabji mandi model right uh, there will be aggregation happening coming to a sabji mandi it will go from one sabji mandi to the other and that's how the indian logistics network sort of uh, developed but uh, with this it will it would become not a hub and spoke model it will become the uh, you know fulfillment based model wherein uh, last mile will become the most critical function and india did not have a delivery van uh, if uh, if people look around globally uh, you know there are specifically delivery vans doing these last mile mid mile deliveries uh, we just have trucks to sort of carry on uh, till today and and that's when we decided that we are going to make a electric van ourselves because anyways there's no takers for our powertrain and if we have built 30 40% of the vehicles why not do the rest and uh, so uh, the journey to build a delivery van started essentially and so, there must yeah. be a reason why india doesn't have or did not have a delivery van right because you did have like omni as an option but uh, yeah. probably people did not prefer to use the van Uh, they preferred there was no need no as i said it was a sabji mandi model uh, people used to aggregate stuff and bring it to the sabji mandi from the rural areas or, or and if i look the reverse side of it uh, fmcg was the core driver in this case and fmcgs generally would have one large truck delivering to 15 other villages 
now suddenly consumption became higher concentration uh, you know uh, uh, area of consumption in a, in a single area radius of 5 kilometers became two or three times now population increase so it would not be viable to send large trucks to two or three villages sort of close it for the uh, fmtg side of it and similarly then i guess the choice was either last truck or the three wheelers Yeah, three wheeler honestly was not an option because uh three wheeler would not actually see the globe uses uh the counter thesis to what the world is doing today of course but mm. in reality if you look at it uh the whole world is, you know which are the countries which are actually using a three wheeler only i think asian countries right? no mostly and and 70% of them are still or 80% of them are still passengers for a passenger carrier i understand there's a need for low cost transportation from point a to point b where your bus would drop you off then to go to home uh, auto three wheeler the manual driven rickshaw at some point of time they were good uh, alternatives right but how on earth can you just carry 200 kgs and then make a delivery the cost of a driver would still remain the same you know then the safety issues because uh, the minute you start loading uh, a three wheeler there is no balance right there's no fourth wheel to create balance in that there is a reason why it did not happen right and people always say that the future is forward looking not backward looking but these are certain physics problems which are so easy to understand uh, three wheelers may be good for quicker deliveries things you want to deliver in one hour two hour three hour uh, you know like perishables or something because they can do that job quick and easy and cheap uh, but i didn't see a huge potential and again how much would i save in terms of uh, carbon emissions again the arbitrage was so low that to, to us it never made a sense we always believe that a four wheel delivery van would be something that india needs and the world needs that is how our journey of sort of developing this started okay okay so uh, tell me how you developed from a powertrain to a working four wheel delivery van prototype Hey, I have to take. I need your time for seven years because it took us seven years <laughs> to do that. So, <laughs> so it like was a, the highlights a, of it. Like it's such a long journey, right? There are so many things that, uh, yeah, there are so many things that go into this, right? Uh, integrating the battery pack, getting the BMS right. What is it's BMS? A, it's a battery management system. So you have like you know few hundreds and thousands of cells, depending upon the battery pack, of course. all of them have to charge and discharge at the same time how do you manage it and these are complex so if you make a vehicle essentially you need to have all the kind of engineering that are taught in college right so that's the complexity you need electrical electronics computer science you need mechanical you need what not to get it right so uh you know it's it's a major uh, monumental task to sort of put wheels to the powertrain and then sort of realize between why the car companies are big car companies and not <laughs> every city has a car company right uh, because uh, the kind of uh, r&d and and the effort that goes to build this is immense it's immense uh, and also if you look at most of the startups which are either you know d2c or or maybe uh, uh, the tech companies or saas companies you know it's about two or three people building one small unique code it's unique for sure they use their brains to do it and then sort of scaling it up is more of a question of putting it on the server and how many users can you get to uh, but uh, in our case uh, it needs a lot of thorough engineering to get it right and beyond that it dawns upon you that safety of your occupants people around the vehicle is also your responsibility as a designer i mean you can't just say theer ho gaya and you know we can't do it again because it's it's lives of people that would be at stake for an automobile in case an accident happens or something uh, uh, and that's a pretty heavy responsibility to carry right and and to to sort of uh, ensure that you do justice because people will put your trust they will give you their money because Uh, they believe that you have done the right kind of engineering and that is something they can't do and, and that's how trade actually started right otherwise farmers were growing something and they were watering life was amazing right we didn't have uh, roi to rush, rush after 1000 years back uh, 
so that's a trust they place on you as as a brand as a manufacturer as a customer uh, as a producer so to achieve that kind of performance on paper uh, takes a lot of time it is no joke it is where the chef and the wheat is separated and uh, that's that's what you know you have to put a battery bms together then we realized that uh, ev then you need to have a native ev platform or a chassis which is native to ev a retrofit is not a solution in this case retrofit was a better this we had six months thought about retrofitting instead of three wheelers uh, but we realized that that's not a, a solution that will last longer you know it could what be what does a, retrofit imply here i take a truck uh, you know change the engine and put a powertrain there which would have been the simple which would have been the easy way out for us you know would have shown revenue i think 6 years before anybody did sort of claimed a lot of uh, kudos but that is something which is not the right value proposition for the customers we realized and as a startup we always need to pause and think about it what do you stand for uh, and are you consistent with that do you stand for making a quick buck then this would have been the right answer is what we thought you stand for providing a quality product uh, a reliable product with high performance uh, to our customers and that would not be it so we decided okay it may be difficult it may be hard may question our existence but if you have to do it you have to do it right or you don't do it and uh, paint me a picture of those days like did you have like a uh, we like worked a, in a 1200 square feet garage or yeah you know, we still have pictures in case we get big we'll show you know evh was this and <laughs> now it is that <laughs> so yeah so it was a small garage uh, 12 12 people team i didn't have an office uh, i was the chaiwala i was the accountant uh, i was uh, the salesperson i was a lot of things <laughs> uh, but i guess that's a story of every startup i mean nothing unique to us in this case uh, but yeah it was uh, i have welded out the first few chassis with my hands because it was better to do it yourself than outsource it you save money which will last you longer maybe and that would be the difference in hindsight Uh, you survive for three years or six years. You know, such small, small. You had like a small team with you, couple of people. Yeah, we were six or seven people doing. Okay, okay. Yeah. And uh, this was so far like funded through. I guess your family must have been supporting you. No, no. So I quit the family business. Whatever accruals I had, savings I had put together, or they were put okay. together as business. And that lasted you uh, for that entire. Our first life. round was. Uh, 2020 just for okay. covid okay so luckily we we raised before covid luckily surviving on your seven, seven years seven years yeah amazing but we were frugal right uh, mm. of course i didn't uh, lead the the lavish life i was used to because i mean it's, it's once in a lifetime you get an opportunity to build a car company you see all these things happen uh, in um, in centuries you know uh, there are certain things which would change every decade but building a car company happen in centuries and there are major events that lead to it example ford started in 1902 between 1902 to 1920 there were 3000 startups in us making cars by 1932 they became three which we call the big three uh so that's when the car companies were formed then the next big came, uh, change came when when the oil crisis started to hit in in the 70s and fuel efficient cars became global that's when you see toshiba and uh, sorry, uh, toyota and, uh, and honda yeah suzuki was even later uh, but toyota and honda became global in in nature as as brands uh, and uh, then china is now taking over because of electrification but uh, you know there are these fundamental tectonic shifts which breed in new car companies slash brands to uh, sort of take you forward and uh, electrification was one such thing where you could get to form a car company otherwise I can do it in this life uh, beyond that I could not do it so yeah it was all worthwhile in hindsight okay so how much time did it take you to get your first prototype and I was reading one of your interviews about you choosing a modular approach can you yeah. understand what that means Yeah, I'll come to what are the innovations we are doing uh, for the sake of not uh, being a publicist for my company. 
<laughs> I'm trying to not bring in, but I'll, sure. gi- I'll give you the details. Yeah, I want to hear. Yeah. yeah. So our first prototype was ready early part of 2019, late 2018, 2019. Uh-huh. Uh, that was our first prototype. So, yeah, I, yeah. I remember. What were the innovations? Tell me those also. But yeah, finish what you were saying. First thing was to get the vehicle running. Innovations are not coming. We can't think of innovations until you have the confidence that you can run a vehicle. And interestingly, one of our potential customers were to visit our facility to see. And it was a big customer. We had pulled three or four all-nighters, I remember, to get it ready so that we can at least demo it. Demo the product. And, and this was like literally handmade, like every piece uh-huh. of handmade. Yeah, yeah. Handmade. And, built. yeah. And only six people building a car. Yeah, first time wow. ever. First electric commercial vehicle. And that's the story of first electric commercial vehicle. Yeah. The, the, they were to land at 8 a.m. or 7.30 a.m. And the car actually started at 7.15 a.m. Until <laughs> then. <laughs> so, so, <laughs> so, yeah, those were uh, some interesting anecdotes, if you like. So that was the first prototype, and since then it has been running without any stock. Uh, so, uh, yeah, so we did that. So that was the first first prototype ready 2019. And then is when you hit the refresh button again and understand, now you can make a vehicle or a car. You, you are confident of it. Now, what would you want to add to the car? You know. Between 2016 to 2019, once we decided to get into a delivery vehicle, delivery truck, whatever you call it, uh, we spent a lot of our time, effort, and resources in collecting the voice of the customer. Uh, what the customer exactly wants, what are the pain points, what are the needs. Uh, you know, in a truck, I'll not name the brand for, uh, you know, it's a public uh, thing, but uh, in a truck, uh, the the spare wheel is right below the load body. So if, God forbid, your tire punches while you're carrying the load, you have to empty the load body first, take the tire out, change it. But these are the small pain points, uh, you know, small, small things that matter, right? Uh, if you have to make deliveries, why you need purpose-built vehicles, essentially? Well, <laughs> You know, uh, a driver or or a delivery partner, as we call it, would open and close the door maybe two hundred times in a day. He would press on the brake uh, or a clutch uh, maybe three thousand times. Uh, and if a if a door sort of weighs fifteen kgs, you are pulling three tons of load in a day, which is what human biomechanics are not made for or designed for, honestly. So. You know, and these are small inputs that we sort of gathered over a period of time. And, uh, and it's a list of some 150 improvements, of course. Some we have done, some we are in the process of doing. So we had to, uh, you know, uh, make it work properly and uh, bring these changes uh, as uh, asked for. Essentially, uh, you know, we had to uh, get these uh, improvements in and also understand uh, what kind of a company can we to to make a car plant or an automobile manufacturing plant. It takes a lot of serious resources. You can't just make it out of thin air. Uh, uh, and and we realize that it's a big boys game. It's it's not that you know it's good. That's when your hobby is over actually. But now to get into serious business, uh, we were very sure we needed to innovate a lot. Uh, and we can't just follow the same principles how the vehicle was made 100 years back because that's not going to work simply for us until we can raise a billion dollars, honestly. That's what it takes to set up a car plant. Uh, so uh, we took uh, a pause and realized what we can do, improvements in terms of what the customer wants and how we can manage or merge our products with others, right? So uh, what we were able to do was essentially uh, first was an analysis of how vehicles are made. You know, you have a press shop, you have a welding line, you have a paint shop and an assembly line. So there are some four or five core operations. Uh, 
pushed into different stations around our car plant. And I, I don't know whether you visited a car plant ever, but uh, if you look at a car plant, uh, yeah, you're welcome. You can visit ours. You'll not be okay. like others, but you'll visit a car plant. Okay, amazing. So, <laughs> yeah. So uh, essentially, uh, we realized that you know the biggest investments would go into a paint shop, welding line, and a press shop. Uh, and one way is also said that your unit cost economics don't come into play. And and the other way is to then think out of the box. And thanks to the aerospace engineering uh, skill sets that we were able to acquire over a period of time, uh, we managed to eliminate these processes completely. Uh, the, there's no press shop in our car or in our vehicle plant. There is no welding line. There is no paint shop. And yeah, I'm coming to that. So that's where the modularity and exoskeleton structures come into play. And essentially, if you're making a sustainable vehicle, you cannot hope to deforest thousands of acres of land and then build a factory. Uh, you're not sustainable from the word go, essentially. There was also a no-go for us. So all these factors put in. So we eliminated this and now we are building our, our vehicles in what we call uh, modular micro-manufacturing, M-cubes, uh, which are small cubes of, of shades, which are 150,000 square feet max, where we build the whole vehicle ground up. Manufacturing is done in-house 70 to 80% of it. Uh, it's not that we are an assembly shop, to be honest. And uh, these things we have been able to pull off because of our exoskeleton structure. Generally, if you look at a chassis or a vehicle, you know, it's, it's one long member. Sort of. We have a built-up chassis. It's all aluminum. We have moved into, a, and there are a lot, lot of patents, which I can't disclose, of course, but uh, a lot of patents around it to, to get it to, to work in this form, to have a built-up chassis inspired by aerospace structures, look at biomimicry as an option. Get all those things done, you know, we had to sort of work towards building this uh, vehicle and, and that whole thing came together in the form of a modular micro-manufacturing setup. Uh, exoskeleton, which then is ultra-modular, you can increase the length of the vehicle, the breadth of the vehicle, uh, the height of the vehicle without having to change a lot of things, which in a car plant would mean investing at least a few, uh, 10, 15, 20 million dollars just to tool up the line to change the vehicle. We don't need to do that. We can build it on the same line, on the same platform. We can add strength of the chassis, reduce the strength of the chassis, increase the powertrain, change the suspension modularly without changing the whole core. Uh, it's it's like a Lego piece, if you can imagine, you know, an expandable or a contractable Lego piece. Uh, that's what our vehicle is. So once we made it, and, and this all came by design, this was thought through by design. Uh, and uh, through design, if you are able to achieve these uh, things, then we can manufacture them or create it, uh, a product which can be industrialized with, with limited investment. So what we have ended up doing now is we can build these vehicles at one-tenth uh, the area required, one-tenth the manpower, and one-tenth the investment required to do vis-a-vis -a, -vis a traditional car. And that's what we are doing right now at, at producing vehicles. So you are not welding together the exoskeleton, which is the traditional doing. Yes, the absolutely. exoskeleton is mass produced in a way that it is easily interlockable. Yes, yes. The joinery details are, of course, uh, patentable, but, uh, but that's the patents we have. We have uh, almost 30 plus patents awarded to us. Another 40, 50 are still being uh, applied. Uh, they have applied for awaiting confirmation. So that's the kind of uh, IP uh, that we have built around our vehicle. But how does the exoskeleton manufacture? You would need a press machine for that. Right? Uh, we don't have one. You have to visit to visualize it, right? Uh, now do I explain it without? I mean, it's a very technical jargon to put. Yeah, okay. Yeah, okay. Amazing. Okay. Amazing. So uh, essentially, you have worked a lot on the exoskeleton design uh, so that it is one single design which can create multiple form factors. We just had one opportunity to make it right, and I hope we made it right. Amazing. Okay. 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 Got it. And uh, uh, so, in 2020, when you raised your first round, at what uh, 
stage were you had you made this exoskeleton by then MVP or? was ready our MVP was ready uh, and we were developing uh, you know uh, getting it ready for mass production also there's a lot of reliability testing that has to occur before you launch the vehicle you have to check for the vehicle has to run for 1 lakh kilometers without a fail it has to i mean you you would not love to get off in a in the middle of a road in in heat and see that your car is not going functional same things would uh, you know uh, work true for any automobile we don't want it to break down in the middle of the road for some issue or the other uh, so yeah do you also uh, need some sort of like approvals some license yeah. to make a car and all like like there would be some role of government approvals in this of course of course of course uh, they are uh, what we call the homologation certificate uh, it's it's uh, central motor motor vehicle act cmvr uh, guidelines that uh, you know uh, you know take through the safety reliability of the vehicle so they do a bunch of tests Uh, at government approved centers so it's not that you can privately get it done and uh, our homologation was completed in 2020 itself very very close to when we reached yeah and did you have any early customers in place like potential customers who kind of gave us soft commitments yeah we had uh, uh, soft commitments in 2019 itself and we showcased the concept so that's what the whole thing is you know well, there's a saying which i always thought was until then You know, it's just a good thing on paper, right? Uh, you know, nothing can stop uh, an idea whose time has come. Is that sort of holds true in a way that uh, it was difficult? Yes, it was difficult to convince people that a startup can build a vehicle, but also the the world needed such a vehicle essentially. So uh, people were ready to risk at least. You know, back then, now of course they have a confidence that we are building deliver vehicles, we can produce vehicles. That confidence is built into them, uh, but. those things were uh, earlier you know at least you know for for big large aggregators to have confidence in us or talk to us uh, a lot of the customers co developed all these changes after 2019 that we have been pushing out over the last 4 5 years uh, they have participated in the design process to to make a product that fits their requirement amazing you had amazon signed up by the time you got your seed funding or that happened mm-hmm. later it was around the same time i don't know what was before but i mean it's almost four years now uh, but it was around that same that same quarter everything happened wow amazing that was a great quarter for you yeah. uh, so like what's covid hit what happened tell me like 2020 onwards the journey covid uh, was a was a challenge uh, in terms of uh, how we worked right like yeah. a software company you can still work from home Do you have to work from home? Yes. Yeah. You you can't build vehicle sitting at home. <laughs> right. Okay. So, uh, but we doubled down on our R and D during that phase. We spent a lot of our time or on a daily basis trying to understand how how further we can improve the vehicle. For us, oh, we were not into uh, mass production at that point of time. So we did not have a lot of people. So so as to say, the team had grown up to thirty forty individuals. I I believe. around that time and maybe 50 uh, but it was not a not a whole large team that we had to take things forward and uh, you know most of them uh, were working on the design and improvement so we doubled down on our efforts to find out where else we can improve so that uh, it was pure of course it's not going to be a lockdown which will last forever once once the lockdown sort of uh, eases off we can then go to work on making the vehicle even better and and i guess that's what we did we fine tuned our manufacturing processes we fine tuned our design processes we improved a lot we reduced our weight by another 20% on the vehicle so those are the activities we undertook uh, during that initial phase of you know 2 to 4 months which was the first lockdown and after that it was always a hybrid working continued even during the second lockdown and so on and so forth So essentially, that's how we managed to uh, to create, uh, you know, uh, some value during that phase. But also, you know, it helped us from their perspective that people saw blue skies after a long, long time, uh, and then people realized that they also need to be using greener vehicles to to help 
restore the planet. A lot of the people realize that sustainability and green environment is is a mandate. You you can't just use it as a, as a buzzword, but you actually have to change, and it's only for the better. The whole planet will feel better. So I guess those are the kind of realizations which sort of push demand for. You know, e-commerce companies were the ones which made the most during that time. So the demand for our vehicles kept on getting stronger. So I guess that was the COVID period. But the world went through a lot of suffering and I really pray that uh, we don't have to go through that phase collectively as a civilization again. Uh, it it was really painful. India, the first and second lockdown were horrible. Globally, we saw so many people lose to COVID. I really hope that. You know, those things don't repeat, I guess. Hmm. So, when did you uh, get your factory for mass production ready? Uh, it was ready last year, mid of, okay. mid of last year, or okay. 2022, uh, okay. you know, that's when we got it ready. Hmm. What is your plant capacity? Uh, currently, uh, we, have, we have a demand for, uh, you know, tens and thousands of these vehicles right now as we speak. So we are making a factory that will, uh, you know, meet these demands uh, and, and uh, reach the production that would, that our customers are demanding from us. That we have a few large customers who are uh, supporting us. So uh, you spoke of uh, your customers helping you uh, build features that they want, uh, and you also told me you had the list of 150 features which were needed in a, a new generation. Uh, delivery van. Uh, what are some of those features? Can you talk about like, first was the delivery van itself. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, that yeah, was yeah. A and not safer three wheelers, yeah. uh, more comfortable yeah. for the driver. Yeah. Yeah. And and also made for last mile and mid mile deliveries. Yeah. That was the first one. The second and most important factor uh, was how we can have the the height of the uh, vehicle to match the warehouse loading heights. Okay. If there's an offset, uh, if you have to sort of load something at the same level, it's easy to load from one to other. Okay. Like this or this. Okay. So we have to optimize it to meet, uh, the get it as close as, as reality so that it's okay. much easier for people to load and load the vehicle. Okay. So that was one of the biggest files. Secondly, the rear door of the, nobody provides a, a, a complete body in India because uh, it's, it's just chassis that are sold. You know, oh, and then, okay. So then the rear door has to body like covered through some cloth material or like no no they get it fabricated outside no they get it bodybuilders okay then the other thing was that uh, the door has to open uh, two hundred and seventy degrees so you you are selling the complete thing right you are not selling the body okay yeah of course because I build the powertrain and the chassis (laughs) so. uh, it is uh, the the door had to open to seventy degrees so that it can uh, you know, back up and uh, join at the loading bay again, as I said. Uh, uh, so that is one of the the tire uh, issue. Beyond that, there are trade secrets. I can't disclose too much to you. I'm sure it will become public knowledge soon. Like once people see the vehicle. Yeah, once people use a thousand of our vehicles. And you'll, you'll be able to see that, yeah, this is a thought through feature. I hope they appreciate it. What about features for like, you know, around telematics, the IoT related features? Yeah, so they, those are a given these days. Uh, yeah. I mean, I don't even need to say anything. That is something which is an obvious uh, demand uh, in terms of, uh, you know, the fact that they need uh, control of the vehicle, understand how it performs. Leads need to manage it better, and, and that's a that's a very basic feature these days, I guess. Like you have dashboards for fleet owners where they can see utilization. Of a, yeah, utilization, charge level, which is the nearest charger for their people, driver same. behavior, for example. Yeah, these are all basic features, I guess. Standard now these days. Okay, okay, amazing. So, what is a vehicle price start? We'll at and we'll we'll let you know. Okay, but uh, one park number like how does it compare with the? See, it will be it will be like expensive than the ice. 
it will be uh, extremely expensive than the ice alternatives. But the per kilometer cost is going to be so efficient that, uh, uh, you know, fleet owners are going to absolutely love the returns they get from our vehicle. Uh, uh. Will it be cheaper than uh, 3 price also, the per kilometer cost? No, no, no. Uh, three-wheeler ice, uh, we never did that comparison, interesting question. Uh, but uh, it would be close, very close. It, it may, I, I can't comment whether it's cheaper or not, but it'll be extremely close. Okay, okay. So, uh, honestly, one compare, no, a three-wheeler ice will be four, five hundred kgs. We do one ton of payload, almost two times the size of that. Okay. So, that may not uh, necessarily be a right comparison also. Uh, uh, okay, okay. So, what are the current challenges in front of you that you are currently working to solve? So, the biggest challenge, I believe, is, uh, you know, uh, producing these numbers with the right reliability. Uh, I mean, you know, producing 2030 numbers, uh, and that's a challenge that, uh, you know, our team is up to it. We have the right team with people from, from grade A automotive companies now who are focusing on making reliable manufacturing processes. Uh, but the challenge remains to create a product, you know, product number one to product number one lakh should have the same quality. You can't have a variance in the quality that takes place. We have to maintain the variance uh, we're doing a pretty good job of it right now as we speak. Um, but, but, you know, we, we have to still produce in large numbers for us to get there. But our, our focus is to get the quality right. I mean, uh, you, you can't, cannot produce a vehicle that does not work. Simple as that. Uh, so our, our effort is to get uh, the... Right the, now, mass the, production is the challenge that solved. We are already mass production, but maintaining the quality in mass production. So we have to be very careful. We're taking each step, you know, measured environment, right? We're going from one vehicle a day to five a day to 15 a day. Although we can go straight away to 50 a day. Uh, but uh, would that actually solve a problem or create a problem with something you do? Uh, so that is one. And uh, Second, uh, you know, we are looking forward, working with the government also to ensure that the financing of the EVs sort of uh, becomes more viable. Uh, currently, the cost of finance for an EV is much higher than that of a, of a normal vehicle. And, so even if it's a, a TCO positive vehicle, eventually, uh, you know, the benefits will be uh, taken away by higher cost of financing. Uh, and by TCO positive, you mean total cost of ownership? Cost of ownership. Yes. Affordable. It's never cheap. Yeah, right. Affordable. Okay. So yeah. uh, why does, uh, why is financing a challenge for you? You're selling to enterprise customers, right? Like you would be selling to the Amazons and these logistics. No, no, no. So it's the logistics providers who, who work for uh, the, the big retailers. Uh, but, uh, you know, most of the vehicles are financed. Nobody invests uh, a lot of money in their assets, right? So uh, if the financing becomes a more viable alternative, then suddenly the transition will sort of shoot up. Uh, you know, so uh, that becomes critical for the mass adoption of EVs. And eventually, what is our aim? Not to produce two, three thousand vehicles. That's an easy job, five thousand. Uh, the job is uh, that we improve the environment, climate. For that, India needs to change very fast in terms of number of EVs on the road. And, uh, you know, uh, making financing at least accessible will help in the transition much faster because it is a clear TCO benefit. It's a profitable vehicle for the fleet owners is going to add value to the fleets they work for, uh, you know, uh, I mean, all those benefits are a given. It's, it's a check mark, you know, check mark on the box. Uh, but financing is something. But we are working, the government is pretty positive and, and I hope uh, very soon, you know, these issues will sort of work out. And any new industry that comes up faces some structural challenges, right? Uh, just imagine Henry Ford making a vehicle when there were no roads to run it on. <laughs> right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 So, so financing will help you offset the initial high upfront cost. So that high upfront cost can be converted into a lower monthly installment. Lower so monthly installment or something. Yeah. Cost of ownership remains neutral because you would spend less money on fuel. And that yeah. and can go to... We are only the helping the nation build uh, by, by reducing the cost. You know, all this pollution and all has an economic cost also, right? We don't discuss about it. Uh, extremely difficult to quantify. Uh, but I, I read a, a McKenzie report maybe five years back, uh, uh, you know, and there's an interesting story uh, which I'll share. But uh, the the report stated that uh, 
due to congestion, pollution, you know, it has a societal impact on on the people living in the country. And, you know, people become less creative, they become less family-oriented, uh, which directly leads to reduction in spending or qualitative spending, which would help the economy. And they believe if you improve the quality of life or happiness index within a nation, uh, you know, it would lead to a 0.2 to 0.5 uh, percent change in the GDP eventually. Uh, how to quantify it? Of course, there are more brilliant minds who would have done this, but it has some thing which we can relate to everybody. Right? If you get home uh, early or happy, you have time to spend with your family, you can go out any time of the day without having to worry about pollution, about congestion. Uh, it would definitely make your life better, my, my life better for sure. Uh, and uh, similar would be the case, I guess, uh, if we can sort of change the transition faster. Uh, just imagine a billion people feeling better in India. How much impact we can create uh, on the on the economy as a, as a whole. Uh, and, and what is the story you wanted to... Yeah, so 2014-15 when I was on the powertrain journey and all, there was a report published by some of the big management consulting firms, which stated that India would be the last in transition for EVs because there's no preparedness from a uh, India perspective to to move in that direction. You know, and a lot of my friends, well, we should show this report to me, sent it to me, and they said, you know, you should rethink your career choices. So uh, it's it's interesting, the journey, and now you see the, the management reports, they're saying that India would be the next fastest or third fastest nation to, to move towards electrification. So, yeah, it's, it's, it's funny how time changes. And I think in commercial vehicles, India is really going fast in EV adoption. Uh-huh. Uh, yeah, uh, actually two-wheelers and three-wheelers are still uh, the major mainstay. But then again, uh, I would sort of slightly differ on this. Commercial vehicle, there is hardly any uh, serious numbers being put, put, put out. Yeah, three wheelers is also commercial vehicle, right? Like, so you say, yeah, but how many three wheeler goods vehicles are sold? Commercial in nature, right? They are mostly passenger rickshaws which are selling. Yeah. Got it. So it's a small sliver of the market which is seeing EV adoption. Absolute bulk of the market. So, what's two wheeler, of course? Two wheelers, of course, there's a major shift. You can see a visible pie of the uh, chart going out, but. Uh, mm -hmm. Yeah, which is why all the traditional two-wheeler companies are also getting into this. Moving towards that. So what's yeah. your roadmap? Uh, you know, a couple of years down the line, help me understand where you see yourself. What all would you be doing? What kind of numbers would you be doing? Yeah. So uh, if you look at us uh, as a company, uh, you know, we were the pioneers to have a native EV four-wheeler commercial vehicle uh, in, for electric vehicles. Uh, you know, interestingly, uh, if you look at EVH from a global, and I'm dispassionately talking about EVH, that's why I say EVH. Uh, at, a, at a global level, you know, what is the competition we have? We are a small commercial vehicle manufacturer. Uh, the kind of vehicles we manufacture, uh, there are one or two global players who are actually doing this. Like Rivian is doing it. In the Rivian world. is the most arrival, uh, uh, most uh, obvious thing. And then, there's nobody else doing this. So we are bullish about uh, in the first few years to capture the, the immense demand that is there. Uh, every day we talk to customers. Every day people are asking for more and more vehicles. Uh, the idea is to fulfill the demand in the next uh, two to three years, which could run into tens and thousands plus. So right now, know. sales is not a challenge for you. It is Should about not fulfilling be. the demand, which is the challenge. Yeah, that's a short-term goal for one, one, one and a half years. Uh, beyond that, we see as ourselves as a global player. There are a lot of the de developing economies who have not developed this technology. They want electrification. And uh, EVH would be there. I mean, uh, you know, the whole, whole globe is our playground, essentially. And we would want to help nations that want to go electric, go green, create uh, roadmaps to help them go green. Because we've done it. We've done it in one of the most challenging economies in the world. You see, in India, no major global OE could mass produce barring a few you know high-end players yeah, yeah yeah and uh, you know nobody has been able to sustain in India 
uh, and if we are able to produce vehicles which are in demand, uh, are solving the problems, both from a price perspective and a performance perspective, uh, you know, we would be in a very special place and uh, we would want to take these expertise to, to countries that actually need uh, electrification. So essentially you want EVH to be a global four-wheel delivery van vehicle. Of like course. You want to focus yeah. on that niche and be a global player in that niche. Of course. Okay. Fascinating. You recently raised a pretty big $28 million funding round. Tell me about I always say we just reached only 28 million. You look at the money raised by car companies. Tesla had spent $280 million before they unveiled their first vehicle. Uh, Rivian ran into a few billion dollars. So we are still starting off from that perspective. And uh, like this money is for setting up? Uh, this production. is uh, to to set our production facility and uh, of course uh, spend on sales and try to create uh, sales channels, service channels for our vehicle. So, what is the way you'll do sales? Will it be through that regular dealer model, like you'll appoint dealerships? Or... No, we are doing direct sales. We'll we will be a direct uh, brand in that sense. Yeah. Okay. So you'll only need to set up service centers, and you'll not need to set up those dealerships for doing sales. Uh, not at all. Okay. And that brings us to the end of this conversation. I want to ask you for a favor now. Did you like listening to this show? I'd love to hear your feedback about it. Do you have your own startup ideas? I'd love to hear them. Do you have questions for any of the guests that you heard about in this show? I'd love to get your questions and pass them on to the guests. Write to me at ad at the podium dot in. That's ad at t h e p o d i u m dot in.